Welcome to Journeys of Teaching. I'm Aaron R. Gearhart. This week, we will explore the journey of Dr. Reba Wisner, an assistant professor of music and musicology at Columbus State University in Columbus, Georgia. Reba is a fellow colleague at Columbus State, and we met in new faculty sessions in 2020 and continued to connect during a writing fellowship during our initial years on campus. We conducted this interview just before the Christmas holiday in 2022, after the fall semester had concluded. Got a lot of books behind you. Are you at home? This is yeah. This is my attempt at catching up <laughs> I'm on stuff that's going to be due within the next like four weeks. What you working on? Um, so I'm working on a couple articles that um, one is on television library music, uh, which is really kind of like the massive stuff here. Um, and then I'm trying to work on a project on uh, universal design for learning, but specifically for music classes. I saw on your Twitter that you had mm-hmm. done some certification stuff. And so I asked my During our conversation, I asked Reba to define musicology. So musicology is essentially the study of music, broadly construed. Um, It's historical, it's cultural, it's social, um, it's theoretical. Um, For some musicologists, it's all about studying the ways people use music. So I have a a colleague who um, her entire research agenda is based on um, social media and music um, and memes. Um, <laughs> and so like there's somebody like her and then there are musicologists who like really want to get in between the notes and see what a piece of music is made of um, and how the, it breaks down in terms of harmony and things like that. Um, and then there's everything in between. On the episode that follows this one, Reba will share her approaches to ungrading as a post-secondary instructor and how these practices have impacted and benefited her students in many ways. However, on this episode, we will begin by learning more about Reba's work in musicology, including how she started a public musicology certificate program at Columbus State, a program that is unique to our institution. So it really depends. Um, my dissertation was actually on 17th century opera in Venice. Um, okay. So totally different <laughs> than what I work on now, which is film and TV stuff. Okay. Um, depends on the project. So when I was working on my Atomic Bomb book, I was looking at the ways in which composers were trying to sonically represent nuclear fear during the Cold War uh, and how that manifested. And it manifested in lots and lots of different ways. Um, So everything from cartoons to an episode of Lassie to Felix the Cat, um, Twilight Zone, like you name it, it's there. Um, And so looking at how um, composers are are trying to see how they can represent through music and sound um, all of the different kinds of aspects of nuclear fear, like shelter anxiety or um, atomic testing sites was a really interesting thing that I worked on um, where there were like, testing sites that the U.S. government would put together, they typically were out either in the Nevada desert or in um, some remote islands uh, and like the Marshallese Islands. And they would put everything that a normal city or town would have, um, electric grids, uh, appliances, houses, cars. um, And then instead of having humans, they would use weighted mannequins and they would weight them with sand dependent on the average weight of an adult or human, male or female, um, or a child. Uh, and 
they, they did this to test and see how things would work. So JCPenney had this whole big campaign where they put clothes on their mannequins and then sent the mannequins with the clothes out into the Nevada desert to test it to see how well their clothes would hold up in the case of an atomic bomb being dropped. Wow. <laughs> but there were lots of TV shows that dramatized this sort of thing. Right. So, I mean, there's that sort of thing. When I was doing 17th century opera, I was doing a lot of in between the notes kind of thing and, and uh, looking at primary source documents. I'm a big primary source nerd. Um, so like this archival box I have behind me is filled with lots of different um, songs that were sent to television networks in the 1950s to dramatize on like shows such as your show of shows and your hit parade and things like that yeah so looking at how the library music was being used uh, and a lot of the networks toss this stuff so like it depends on people who like find it in their attic yeah um, so, <laughs> so like I, I periodically like peruse things like ebay and others and i i found like a good chunk of them but to look and see because they actually have scenarios and recommended scenarios on how they're staged they should be staged like you would find yeah. on something like the hip parade so it really it just totally it's, depends you find that their understanding of any of those disciplines is also a barrier sometimes that you have to scaffold like lack of you know cultural knowledge or is it the music or is it the history you've got to get them up to speed on or what do you find because you started correct me if i'm wrong it was it's a musicology certificate program yep public musicology yep. mm-hmm. public musicology so like where are you scaffolding them in terms of some of those disciplines that are encompassed by musicology so it really depends uh i the the thing about the public musicology program is I'm essentially kind of undoing everything that students think they're going to be doing in a music school. Uh, we, I mean, we, we do this all the time. Like we teach them to write academically and do research and, and, you know, talk in, in to like people like ourselves, yeah. but with public musicology, it's all about talking to the people who may have absolutely no idea about anything about music. Mm-hmm. And so teaching them to not write academically uh, and what that means. Uh, the thing about the program is that all of the students either are music majors uh, or they are students who came into CSU with uh, at least 12 credits in music from another university. They may not necessarily be a music student. So I have three of those students right now. One's interdisciplinary studies and one's film and one's history. Um, and so for them, Uh, The hardest part, I think, is remembering what it's like to dig into music in a very specific way because they haven't done it in a while. Um, But one of the things that I do notice with students um, is Western music tends to be very, how do I say this? It tends to be very much about what the notes on the page. And if you have are someone who uh, might have something like um, dysmusia, which is a type of music dyslexia, uh, or a student who might have a processing disorder that might not be able to um, like really understand everything immediately. Because one of the things we do typically in music history is we put a piece of sheet music in front of you that has like sometimes 15 or 20 different parts. You've never seen it before. You expect it to listen to the music and follow that with instruments that are in different keys um, and be able to process that and then immediately 
asking and following on the very first time, being able to talk about how this fits into the context. And that's a lot for a lot. anyone to do. Yeah. And because Western music tends to privilege the notes and privilege notation, any sort of shortcut tends to be conceived as a sort of cheating. So it's funny that you mentioned this today because I um I just was on another podcast for Think UDL and I talked a little bit about how I handle this with music. And I, I tell I told Lillian Nave, who is the host of that, that you know, no matter what you think about it, it's not cheating. Anything that helps you to process what's on that page is helpful. So when I give students different kinds of assignments, I tend to give them multiple ways of handling it, which is why I let them do the unessay because I want them to figure out what interests them and what their strengths are and how they can approach the topic of the course in any right. way that they see fit. Right. Um, with public musicology, I can do a little bit of that. So um, one of the things I'm really, really lucky is that we have so many different partners who are willing to work with our students. Um, I think the, the count is three states and two countries right now. Uh, and some of them are very specific as to what they want the students to do. And I'm embedding these things into the courses so that um, they will learn about how to do certain things, but then immediately actually do them. Yeah. So it's not hypothetical. It's now we're going to do this and this is going to show up in the real world. Um, but some, like I'm working with um, Dana Gozelani Mostak at Georgia College. She runs Tracks on the Trail. Um, which is a website and database about presidential campaign music. Uh, and every four years she ramps it up as we get closer to the election. Uh, but she has given my students a choice. They can do podcasts, they can do lesson plans, they can draft educational materials, they can even create an edition of a song that hasn't been created yet. Um, so giving them the chance to feel what is comfortable for them and to produce a piece of public facing work for me is a really important thing because I want them to be able to find their niche. Um, I, I've, I tell my students this all the time. You probably have had this experience. I think everyone has had this experience where you go into work at some job and you realize you're absolutely miserable and there's anything you would rather do than go in and go to that job the next day. So I tell my students, I want you to try as many things as you, you can whether it's internships, whether it's uh, the stuff that we do in these classes, because you might think that, oh, I really want to be an archivist. And then you start doing archival stuff and you're like, this is not for me. So it's a very self-contained and they don't have to worry about feeling like they're stuck doing something. It's a matter of getting experience, but also trying things. And that's really what I think uh, I tell my students, really anything could be musicology. And any discussions of music can be musicology, no matter how you frame it. Yeah. You had a student, I don't remember if I saw it on your Twitter or something, that's doing an internship like right now over the mm -hmm. break, right? Where, and it, that's here in Georgia? It is. So she, um, it, it's one of those things where, you know, students don't out usually believe you until like they actually see the proof in the pudding. Yeah. Um, students, I tell them all the time, like if you connect with people, once they know who you are, if you do good work, they'll reach out back to you. So about a year or so ago, that student um, did some work for a historic house in, I think it was in Milledgeville, Georgia. Um, and the internship that she got now, working with another historic house in Sparta, Georgia, she got because the uh, person who ran the historic house in Milledgeville recommended her 
and said she does really good work and she knows what she's doing go hire her yeah and so she did and so now i think that she and some of the others are starting to get the idea like well she's really right like if i do good work and i make these connections then i will start to like find other opportunities yeah so yeah i i've had a couple of students do internships which is not part of the program and we will give them credit if they won't pay um but some of them are are almost adamant that they know what they want to do with their lives and so that's why i'm like good we'll get you an internship and see if that's really what you want um because again like i you know if if you're miserable it's a short amount of time but you still have connections networking is is paramount as you know if it is for you, great. Now you have experience and you have connections and you can go forward. So either way, you have experience and connections, which is whether or not you actually want to pursue that thing. Right. And that student who's doing the internship, um, she wants to be an archivist. Um, so, and she wants to work with community histories. So the fact that she's doing a second internship, doing the same thing, perfect. I yeah. think it's perfect for her. Maybe you could tell me about this a little bit too. So you started that public musicology certificate program here at CSU. This is the first full year it's running, correct? Yep. So like, what was that process? Cause you've been here, I think we started the same year, 2020, right? Mm-hmm. How do you, what was that process of getting that off the ground? Cause you haven't been here that long. No. So for me, it was um kind of a, a little bit of a few things that made me want to start it. Um, well, so I had, like I said, I had adjuncted for a very long time. Um, and <laughs> this job was actually, I think, the last academic job that I applied to. Um, I was going to call it quits and go into faculty development. But I had been thinking before I moved into faculty development, like, what am I going to do? Like, I have a PhD. I'm overqualified, according to a lot of people. Like, what am I going to do with my life? And I never thought of anything beyond a plan B. Uh, I have a plan B. So there was that. What am I going to do with a music training? Um, and then there was also um, thinking about how performance jobs and CSU is a very performance oriented program. Yeah. Um, because the pandemic just made it worse, but um, there are hardly any performing jobs out there. And so I, you know, students are going to graduate with performance degrees and walk out of there and say, now what? Right. Uh, so one of the places that I was adjuncting was Westminster Choir College, uh, and they offered a master's program in American and public musicology. And it was the only one. And I'm using past tense because they've just cut it. Um, the oh, enrollment wow. has dropped. Um, and the reason <laughs> what had happened was the person who started the program start, left to start a nonprofit. Um, and so the person who was doing recruiting and teaching in the program was basically me (laughs) and then I wound up here um when I left we had one student in the program so um wouldn't it be great to do something like that here um and I originally had thought about doing a graduate program and then one of my colleagues said "Mm, are we going to really get grad students to stay for this um and so that's when I thought to expand to undergraduate turns out graduate students can do it so I have two graduate students in the program right now Mm-hmm. Um, program started in August of 22 is when the first class started running and we have 31 students in there now and then there's two who are probably going to join starting in the fall which was like blows my mind but that's this, a great it, success that's amazing yeah. and you know when I was trying to have this moment of reckoning what I was going to do with my life I kept getting calls 
an email to do public facing things. Uh, so I've done commentaries on DVDs yeah. uh, for film scores. I've uh, written for public venues. And so I was thinking, you know, having students have this experience would be yeah. really, really crucial so that they don't, going back to that notion, I don't want them walking out of here and saying, now what? I want them to walk out of here and say, what now? We need to make this happen. Because the students, one thing they've made very clear to me is how they want to get involved with the community. And there's just so, there's such a wealth of different resources and like opportunities here. Like I talked about this with, um, with uh, Sean Cruzen from the Space Science Center, how like, how crazy is it that we have such regional immediate access to like space science technology and they're sending people to work at Marshall and NASA and places like that from Columbus, Georgia mm -hmm. of all places. Right. And yeah, we have a, a wealth of arts and music opportunities here too, which like we've loved about moving here because my wife's a music educator. My kids mm -hmm. are very inclined towards the arts and it's been great in that regard. Yeah. And I think this is really a, a, a prime place for this to happen. Yeah. So I think that if, if anywhere is a good birthing ground for a program like this, because we're the only one in the country right. that has this. Um, and I would love for us to be the model for others, but I think that because we have so many different arts organizations who are so willing to partner. I really enjoyed learning about musicology from Reba and hope you did too. What I also learned from Reba's stories outside of the value of musicology as a means of examining how music mediates and represents so much in our world is how Reba intentionally engages her students in connected learning, brokering opportunities for her students to do meaningful work that relates not just to musicology, but to their personal and professional goals. This is the stuff that will help students invest in their learning in meaningful and authentic ways. We will conclude our conversation with Reba on the next episode on this podcast feed. You can follow Reba on Twitter at Reba underscore Wisner. My contact information is in the episode description. This is Journeys of Teaching. I'm Aaron R. Gearhart, and thank you for listening.